Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. In his own words, Andre Dickens asked this question as he stood before supporters last night. How does a boy from Adamsville, where they give you a 4% chance of making it to the upper middle class, how does this happen in the city of Atlanta? I was counted out way back then. Counted out, but prevailed as Dickens garnered 64% of the vote against Council President Felicia Moore. Speaking to Morning Edition host Lisa Ram, Dickens said he'd welcome adding more to his administration. We plan to talk about it next week, so uh, we'll see what, what we can pull off together um, because I think she has a, a key insight into city government, being there for 24 years. And, um, and then, you know, as I shape up what I want to do, I'll, I'll share it with her and we'll come up with something together. And speaking of what he wants to do, Closer Look looks to have Mayor-elect Andre Dickens on next week. Now, Felicia Moore's exit as council president will be filled by veteran nonprofit executive Doug Shipman. He'll join the program a little later. And two longtime city council members were defeated last night from Council District 12. Joyce Shepard lost to Antonio Lewis. Cleta Winslow was the longest serving Atlanta City Council member in District 4 and was facing another runoff from the same opponent from 2017. Jason Dozer. But this time, the results favorite Dozer. He joins me later in the program. Now, all that's just ahead because we have a lot to recap on this special election recap, including analysis from, of course, the numbers guy, Fred Hicks. Closer Look continues in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at Richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T.edu. Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Atlanta Mayor-elect Andre Dickens told supporters last night, you know what? He wasn't supposed to make it to the stage. This is a uniquely Atlanta experience. This is a uniquely Atlanta story. How does a boy from Adamsville, where they give you a 4% chance of making it to the upper middle class. How does this happen in the city of Atlanta? I was counted out way back then. Well, he was. From back of the pack to now mayor-elect, what was Dickens' path to victory? Let's talk some numbers with Atlanta-based campaign and political strategist Fred Hicks. Fred, welcome back. Thank you, Rose. Glad to be here. And we should know, because I I think our listeners might find this very interesting, Um, prior to last night's election, you don't have to mention all of the candidates, but you actually were called in to do some what some type of numbers crunching analysis. Kind of take our listeners through what usually happens at this time for someone like you and when candidates and campaigns are reaching out right before the election or a runoff. What, what are they asking you to do? 
Yeah, you know, so throughout my 15, 16 year career, it's been really kind of interesting. Um, it started out as a volunteer actually about 20 something years ago on the Gore campaign in Tennessee. And then um, and then from there, you, you know, moved into campaign management um, and strategy. So did that. My, my first race here in the city was Caesar Mitchell's 09 campaign. Uh, we did stuff up in North Fulton before that, but the first one in the city. And then uh, you go into deep management, then you go into consulting, and then you get more into the service provision of things. And uh, my orientation, as you know, we've talked about before, is data first and foremost, and then we layer services into mm-hmm. it. And so for me nowadays, I do, especially this year, you know, after having my bout with COVID last year, I decided to switch up mm-hmm. and, and go a less stressful route. So we do more services, some consulting and more services for, for campaigns and candidates. Uh, so down the stretch, we might get called in, much like a printer would, to do um, to do texting or to do phone banking and stuff like that for for uh, for a race. Um, so it allows you to be somewhat agnostic, but also allows you to you know, still keep your hand in it. Because having done now over 300 races, people tend to value, hey, what do you think we should do down the stretch? What do you think is going to happen down the stretch there um, of any particular race? So let me ask you this: then the data that you're using, are you looking at the? Here we go again. Are you looking at the polls that have come out? Or are you trying to strategize or in consulting with them to strategize based on the strengths in numbers or the weakness in numbers and, and depending on the region? You know, it all depends on the race in terms of my level of involvement. But generally speaking, what I would say is that for me, it's a holistic, I take a holistic approach. Mm-hmm. So you take polling, you take all the what we call quantitative stuff, the numbers, um, and then you also try to throw in qualitative stuff to it. So have a lot of conversations on the street, you know, in the Waffle House, at the barbershop, the beauty salon, and talking to people and see and see if those two match and mesh. And if they don't match and mesh, then you tend to go with, at least for me, I go with the qualitative, what people are saying on the street more than what the numbers are telling me. Because I look at numbers as like a skeleton to the story, right? So, and then the, the qualitative, what people are seeing and feeling and thinking, uh, that's your muscle and your fat that you put onto it. So you need the numbers, but um, you, you, wanna, you certainly want to, well, look at the bring those two together and not just live in a numbers bubble. Were you surprised at the overwhelming percentage by that Andre Dickens won? Was that a surprise for you? Uh, yeah, I think everyone was surprised by that. Uh, you know, yesterday morning, well, the last 48 hours for me, um, you have people, council members, other electeds, other politicals, all, everyone wants to know what you're thinking, what you're thinking. And here's, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. And uh, from what I what I heard that, um, and uh, um, Mayor Lake Dickens would have to confirm this, but what I heard from my friends over there, they were saying, well, our data shows that we're up by 15. We're going to win by 15 points, which I thought was absolutely crazy that they would, you know, I was like, 15, that, that's crazy. So even if you accept that that number, that they nearly doubled that, it was almost a 30-point win last night, so it exceeded even their expectations. Now, 15 points in politics is is amazing. I mean, that, that that's a, a big blowout. When I think about, you know, when we did Sherry Boston versus uh, Robert James, I think that was like 62-38. And that was just like, oh my gosh, we need to be section of the paper. Um, and a lot of the other races. So anything over 55-45 is considered a major win. And so you started talking about this. And then when you put in the context of what happened in the last open, last two mayoral elections in Atlanta, uh, with Mary Norwood and Kasim Rita Onan, Mary Norwood and Kishan Lynch Bottoms, those are both decided by fewer than a thousand points, like, I mean, a thousand votes and, you know, one percentage points. And so you, you look at this, this exceeded, I think, everyone's expectations. And considering that voter turnout was low, because look, for folks that are listening that may not understand this, we're talking about the number of registered voters for these races was a little bit over a half million, talking about 520,000 some folk, you know, registered voters. 90,000 plus ballots cast, that's about 17.4%. Now, I didn't do that math in my head. I'm looking at the map. <laughs> but, I, it's, but for a listener, like, oh, look at Rose, the math skills. But I just want to be fair. That, I'm rubbing off on you, huh? Yeah. But considering the low voter turnout, that makes it even more remarkable when you think of the, the margin for which Dickens won by. Oh, man. I mean, everything about the win was impressive um, in every stretch of form. So um, he, when the first numbers came in last night, right at eight o'clock, the uh, early voting numbers, he was up 59, 40, 41. Um, and then that lead just continued to grow. So, um, yeah, you know, the the in terms of absolute numbers, well, and what was interesting about last night as well is that the last two mayoral elections, open elections, again, 09 and 17, you actually have more people vote in the runoff than you did in the general election. We didn't have that last night. 
Uh, but I think any way you sliced it, it would have been a great, good night for him. Um, and that's a testament to a couple of things. And I've been thinking a lot about this, Rose. Um, when you look at the other races that happened, uh, the outcomes last night, it was a bad night for incumbents across this, across Fulton County, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, just about every incumbent lost who was on the ballot last night, at least in the, an executive position. Um, and so when you think about, uh, to, to varying degrees, and so you think about how, how Dickens ran his campaign all the way through, it was, it was pretty impressive. Let's look at the map. I feel like I, I'm on one of the, the cable networks. Let's go to the map. You look at this <laughs> map. I'm on my whiteboard. I'm on <laughs> right. the other side of my office. <laughs> look at this map. And if you folks, if, if you can go to the Fulton County Georgia website, you can bring it up yourself. Felicia Moore in blue, Andre Dickens in green. Felicia Moore, obviously the, more of the northern part of the voting block. Dickens carves out just a little fraction to the east and then everything south of that. And I'm talking maybe like the Buckhead area and all, everything south of that is all Andre Dickens. So what I want to say about this, is that that's the Fulton County map. I want to remind your listeners that the city of Atlanta is, is comprised of Fulton sure. and DeKalb County. But the DeKalb map so, was still favored Dickens, wasn't well, it? I was going to say, I was saying, you mentioned that there's a shade to the east. No, 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 no. dominated no. the east side. I meant, that's and why so, I said Fulton, yeah, that's why I said Fulton County. That's why I said gotcha, Fulton gotcha. County, yeah. And so when you, when you think about the whole East, right, including the cabin, all of that, what was very interesting to me when I was looking at the map last night was, uh, you know, his surrogates framed this as Southwest Atlanta versus the Buckhead candidate. And, you know, I, I live in Buckhead. And, you know, and so when they talk of Buckhead, they talk about, like, you know, old white Republican. And I'm, I'm none of those. And I'm like, well, that, that's interesting. But I get that you have to try to create a binary choice in the campaign. But what was interesting, when you look at the Buckhead numbers, even the precincts that she won, that Felicia Moore won, um, compared to what compared to what Mary did, or compared to what, how she did, to, how Felicia fared to, against Andre in the general election head to head, he made significant inroads in Buckhead, and so on the east side, Ansley Park, Johnson Estates, going over towards Emory, he won those outright. And let me say this, and I wanted to to lead with this point, and I, and I, I apologize to your listeners for not doing so. I think what happened last night, whoever won, um, in this case it was Mary like Dickens that a large margin was absolutely critical to the future of Atlanta. You could not have a situation, given what we're talking about with Buckhead City, given what we're talking about with the with the Atlanta airport, you cannot have a situation where one person won narrowly or lost and Buckhead was the difference maker. That was that was going to cripple the mayor-elect's opportunity to, to keep the city together. And so seeing that large margin and seeing the inroads that, that Dickens made into in, in, in a bucket into northern the northern side of the east side, I think it was absolutely critical. And I hope portends good things for keeping the city together in 2022. What else has been your takeaway from this particular race with Dickens and Moore? But then also let's back up a little bit because we have to say this. We're not trying to be shady, as the folks say. But Andre said it himself. Look, I was counted out. Former Atlanta Mayor yeah. Reed said to him that's why i'm in the lead and you're in single digits that's why he told us on election night back in november andre dickens he was he was counted out what does it say about the strength of campaigning and also about momentum when you do make it to the runoff uh, so on thanksgiving i was talking to my son's grandfather and uh, they live up in north fulton so they're not even in the city and he says to me you know, Fred, uh, he said, what do you think about this mayor's race? I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be interesting. He said, well, you know, uh, this Andre Dickens guy, he's from uh, the West Side, went to a maze, and he's a Georgia's, Georgia Tech grad, and he has a safe plan. I'm like, how do you know all that? You don't live in the city. He's like, oh, well, it's commercials. And they're, they're great. They're very simple. I get it. It makes a lot of sense to me. And so at that moment when, when I'm talking to someone in North Fulton about the Atlanta mayor's race, and he's able to give back to all of the candidates' talking points, that is a, that is a moment where you're like, okay, th- there's something happening. Does here. that mean he got a lot more infusion of cash after, obviously, it was, it was determined it would oh, be him yeah. and Felicia? No, absolutely. So he he way outspent um, um, council president in this in, in this election. Um, but you know, a lot of times you can have money. And shout out to his fundraising team. Candace Franklin did a fantastic job over there. She always does. 
Um, but how the, you know it's also how you, how you know she did a fantastic job? Well, she, she's a friend, so I mean, you know, Dad, don't be giving folks that, fantastic <laughs> jobs. You don't even know what they did. She might even be giving orders to somebody else, and that person did a fantastic job. Look at you. That's true. So the whole finance team over there. How about that? How about that? But no, but uh, but but seriously, the um, so he far outraised. Um, he far outraised Council President Moore, and they also spent it very well. You know, we um, we looked at the last week. We looked at the. Uh, the, uh, the buy, and he had about twice as many points, what we call, you know, 240, 250 points versus 100 points. So he spent he spent his money well also. And uh, and his social media presence, you and I talked about this offline, you couldn't go into, onto Instagram or Facebook um, or, or go into Twitter and look at Atlanta politics without seeing someone shouting out um, and talking about Andre Dickens. So it was, it was, an, uh, it was a full-on um, campaign. And, and I, and I want to say this, when we think about it, um, I know, I, I, I know we you have some you have other guests today. I think you know, for me, I think for people in general, you try to look for a narrative um, when you look at election results. And and uh, you know, going prepping for today's show yesterday, I thought well, there are four possible outcomes between the mayor and the city council president. Mm-hmm. What's really fascinating to me is that you had two women, two black women on the ballot. You had two men, one black, one white, on the ballot, and the two men won last night. You know, four years ago. We were talking about black girl, black woman magic and mm-hmm. the mayor named Keisha and all of that. And and there's a lot of, in my world, there was this, this is general belief that you can't defeat a black woman no matter what. And so why even try? Um, and this and, and so it's interesting to me to see uh, see what happened last night. And, and when talking to other electeds and I presented the four scenarios, the one that happened last night was the one that uniformly people said, yeah, is, is the least likely. But you told me that you felt the Moore campaign at Felicia Moore would have to garner a high percentage of the black vote. Yeah. I believe you yeah. said 40%. Right. That's extremely, that that's high. That's that's a high bar. Is it? But when you're a black female who's the city council president, you've been on council since 1997. But your opponent was a black man. That's true. So there's a so, lot. There's a lot of stuff to dig in. You're gonna have to have me back on next week and the rest of the year. You know, to to you, to yeah, you demographers and all these numbers that you, y'all get on my nerves <laughs> but, sometimes. All but that. you know, well, he was interesting. Let's talk about the polling, right? Yeah. So the AJC polling had her at 23 percent with women, and mm-hmm. that's that that attributed contributed or attributed largely to the to the gap. And um, and you look at what was going on with black voters and all that. You look at District 10 and 11, which are the two historically black districts in the, in the city. Mm-hmm. I was just poking around at different precincts last night on the map. She was she struggled to get to 23%, 18%, 19%, 20%. I mean, just across District 10. And then you have, represented by Councilmember Andrea Boone. And then you saw a very similar pattern over in District 11. You know, so she didn't, in many respects, she didn't even get to the threshold that, that the AJC poll had her. Does this also, could you attribute this to the fact that Andre Dickens did have a large majority of sitting council members giving him endorsements, giving him that yeah, endorsement. I mean, yeah. You know, we've seen a lot of impressive campaigns um, in the city over the years, uh, but I've not seen one where there were so many, there were so many people in different groups where you talk, I mean, they had a prayer session I saw on Instagram um, with like every major pastor, black pastor, on Monday, they had a big concert with you know hip hop community, and so you'll see different parts of it here and there come together. But to see uh, one one former elected official text me Sunday, um, they were like, "He has everybody," and, uh, and it really it was like, "Wow, yeah." I said he does, and it was so it was very that that was interesting, and I think that. Um, but you know, for Felicia Moore, her career has been spent. Um, sort of raging against the machine, and she did get 41%. And so for people, this, this trouble that a lot of people had, myself included, was seeing, we talked about this when we first, you know, when, when I first started, mm-hmm. is that for, for Andre to win, he was going to have to do two things. Or, sorry, Andre, Mayor Lake Dickens. Well, he was going to have to do two things. Number one, he was going to have to pull her numbers down. Mm-hmm. And his surrogates did a very good job of attacking. I mean, from the colorism thing to the stuff about clubs and all that, they were just his surrogates. Well, attack, was that, attack, attack, okay, attacking, attack. and this is, and I know you're the numbers guy, so I want to be want to be fair, but, you know, attacking and truth in the attacking mm-hmm. because there was some, like I said, I always listen to the streets. You know, you're a demographer, 
You use numbers. I'm in the streets. I talk to the community. <laughs> we can be both. You can yeah, do numbers yeah. like you in the streets. Yeah, you, so, not, not like me. You you don't have a street cred like I have. A, <laughs> you, you just don't have a brother. You you don't. You cool and all. You went to fam, but you, you ain't you ain't got a like. I, went to, I, I taught at fam. Taught I want to I load around. Okay. My son goes to fam. All right. I went, uh, so, but and this, and this gets into you know campaigning. <laughs> there were some things that just weren't true for, on both sides. So we that's a whole right. other conversation. And, and that's part of campaigning. Yeah, that's part that's of campaigning. Part but of campaigning. I'm saying, uh, I mean, you know, exaggerations and stuff like that. But I'm saying that they were or lies on both sides. Well, for this, you call them surrogates. Okay, the surrogates right. for both. Right. But, what okay. I'm saying. So, you, so you have that going on, right? And so, you know, which in any campaign, what you want to do. An ideal setup is you want to have a, a wide network of surrogates who will go after the after your opponent and, and do all the negative stuff, and you get to be positive and shake hands and kiss babies and be happy and all of that. That's the ideal scenario. <laughs> okay. and, and, you know, I mean, seriously, that, that's what you really, really want when you're trying to build when you're trying to build out a campaign. And so they were able to execute on that front. But what I was going to say is that, you know, I think that, um, you know, that that was her, with her career. Um, Oh, the 41% that, that they had, you had, had to do two things. One, you had to pull down her numbers. And number two, we said you had to fundamentally shift the electorate. And in 27 days, that's with, with Thanksgiving in between, mm-hmm. that's really difficult to do. And I think the moment, someone said it to me last night, and I thought about it, and I think they're absolutely right, that the election was won and lost within the first week of the runoff. You didn't hear a lot from the Moore campaign, really not anything at all. And there was certainly, you didn't, the, 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 the conversation was all about Dickens, 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 and he knocked out Kasim Reed, and he has all the momentum. Not, hey, here's this person who Kasim Reed is going after. And well, she is that because percent. maybe the money hadn't been coming in? Because I immediately remember seeing Dickens' commercials during Sunday, the Sunday morning shows, and and seeing more of Moore's campaigns on, during stream, on streaming platforms. Is that simply because he just had a little bit more? We talked about. It. Is that because he had more money to instantly say, "Let's get it going. Let's get it on TV. Let's get my name out there." Well, that's probably true, but you know, structurally, you also have to remember once you know that you're in a runoff, and certainly when we build them out like that, when we're doing campaigns, if we know that we're going to be in a runoff, then you set aside money for that runoff so that you can keep going, hit the ground the day after, um, and so. According to the last disclosure reports, then Dickens showed debt and she did not. Mm-hmm. So they, so they, she ran a fiscally, you know, sound campaign. But you've got to kind of pay it forward. You have to do, you have to be ready. And, and when you know when you're at forty one percent, presumably her internal polling said to her that she was going to be in the runoff. So at that point, you you got to set aside money to keep going. Well, let's get to this before we let you go because it's not over. Twenty twenty two. We touched on this a little bit last night during our election special, and now we can talk a little bit of partisan here in terms of the races because now the focus is, okay, November 2022. If you are, what lessons can be learned from last night for if you were all state house senators, statewide positions, what lessons can they learn from last night heading into 2022? Well, I don't know if there are any, many, if there are many new lessons. I mean, marketing matters. Um, being out there matters. You know, and, uh, you know, someone said it best. I thought that it seemed like Andre was in three places at one time. Every you know, out there, and so you know that that really matters. Um, you can't sit in your bubble and and think that voters are going to come to you. Um, voters certainly seem to like fresh new energy, um, and they certainly seem to like. Um, well, listen, we have a lot of issues in this in the country, in the city, in the state right now. And people are really interested in people who have solutions and not just rhetoric. And if you've been around for a long time and they feel like you've not produced it, they're going to vote you out. Um, like I said, you know, we had, you look at what happened down in South Fulton, you look at what happened in, in Fairburn, you look at what happened, uh, hey, down in Warner Robins, actually. I'm going to shout out to LaRonda down there, look at our first ever uh, woman in African American well, Warner County. Robins. Yeah. She defeated an incumbent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so you have Cosby down there, Cosby Johnson down there. So, you know, in the home of where Auburn Arbery happened. So this, we're in a different space and time. And the one thing I will say that I think that contributed a lot to this, and this is a carryover from 2020. One thing we noticed with our clients last year is that our website traffic to our campaign sites was like three, four, five times what it would normally be. So what that told us is that people were actually taking their time to research the candidates and their records. And that carried over, I think, to this year. It wasn't just marketing. People took the time to look at what you've actually done, and they voted on that. 
Atlanta-based campaign political strategist Fred Hicks. As always, we appreciate you taking the time. Fred the Street Hicks. You don't have the cred like I do, Fred. You just don't. It's don't. But we love you, big fella. I got to be good. Congratulations to all the winners for us yesterday. Come on back now. Will do. Thank you. Close Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in a little bit later on the program, we'll speak with Jason Dozer. Yes, now elected. He defeated longtime incumbent Cleta Winslow, District 4. But now, you know, it's not a role to take lightly. Atlanta City Council president, decades ago, was considered the vice mayor's role. So what? And now a newcomer to politics has been chosen. But in our past, we have slayed Jim Crow. We have built a world-class airport. We've hosted an Olympics. We have grown and grown and grown, and we still know in our hearts that we haven't fulfilled our potential. So tomorrow will very soon literally be today. And this election has shown us that Atlantans clearly want a better tomorrow. The time of growing on the backs of the impoverished of our community is over. The path of investing only in the successful and shiny sections of town must end. Securing 54% of the vote last night, Doug Shipman, yeah, he won against longtime council member Natalie Archibong. Doug Shipman, or rather Atlanta City Council President-elect Doug Shipman joins me. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rose. It's always good to be here. I'm a little sleep deprived, but I'm happy to talk to you. Well, you may have many, many more nights like this, sir. So <laughs> adjust your body accordingly. Um, right. The runoff. You heard, you heard a little bit in talking with Fred uh, Hicks early, just a moment ago, and talking about how sometimes he believes that an election can be won in that the first week of a runoff. Did you change your messaging at all from earlier in November to in, in this time now you all had in the runoff? No, not really. We had been uh, running basically on an agenda that we continue to hear from voters. You know, we knocked on thousands of doors. I knocked on about 5,000 myself all over the city. And so in essence, it was based on that. You you and Fred were talking about, you know, what you hear when you walk around the streets. It was based on what people were saying. And so as we got into the runoff, we really didn't change the message. And we really didn't change the method. We continued to door knock starting on the Thursday after the Tuesday of the general. We continued to to host events. We just continued to talk to voters. And what we were hearing was that they wanted new ideas. They wanted solutions. They wanted a, a perspective on how we could make the city work better. And so we just continued to showcase those ideas that we had across the campaign. New ideas, better solutions. You feel that's something that can come out of the, the role of Atlanta City Council president, given the power structure within Atlanta city government? I do because of two things. One, we've seen uh, the city council president shepherd very big ideas that came from neighborhoods and communities. Uh, the, probably the epitome of this is the Beltline and Kathy Woolard when she was city council president really grew out of an idea outside of city hall. She really shepherded it in and then was able to bridge between the idea that was outside the city and how the city could, could, you know, grab the idea and in essence drive it. Um, So that's a good example. And I think more broadly, right now, we really need consensus to be built. Voters said very consistently the issues that were on their mind in every single neighborhood, public safety, how we're growing, city services, infrastructure. That came up again and again and again, no matter the part of town. And so I think that there is the ability for the city council president to play a unique bridging role between council the administration and communities in order to drive these solutions. So I, you know, I really, one of the the current city council members said to me along the way, you're a gap filler. You should be constantly trying to fill in the gaps of information or alignment that exists because you can move across these various constituencies. And I think the city council president's role, while that's not a formal, um, you know, role, that is a very important informal way to move policy. You are a newcomer to this role in terms of politics, politics as well. So you have to get acclimated just to the the operation or the daily operations of what it, how the city council operates. Um, but you're coming in in a leadership role, not just coming in as a district representative. 
So your learning curve may be a little bit shorter than the rest of the new folks. How do you plan to, who's helping you with that? Are you, did they give you a handbook, well, how to be NSC council president, <laughs> chapter one, show I, up for work? I have, I have not found the, 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 the uh, handbook, if it exists. Uh, you know, I think there are a couple of things. One, I've had conversations all along the way with former city council presidents and other senior um, elected officials in city government. I will continue to do that. Um, I last night, uh, I have not spoken to her yet, but I'm going to be reaching out to um, Council President Felicia Moore and asking for her perspective, because obviously she's been in the role right now. And then I'll also be looking to the veteran members of council. You know, there, there are some new members of council. You're going to talk to one in a few minutes. Um, but there are several who have been on council um, for a long time. And so I, I very much want to learn from them, want to learn their perspectives, their tips. Uh, and I've also already been talking to them along the way, and they've already showcased to me some things that past council presidents have really done well that they would like to see continued and some things that they would like to see emphasized that maybe haven't been emphasized as much. So I'm going to be taking input from all of those directions, not only to just run good meetings, but also to have an effective body. I think it's very important. What I continue to hear from voters is that they really want things to work well. They really don't want a conflict between the city council president and the mayor. They don't want a conflict on council. It doesn't mean everybody has to get along. Sure. It, has to mean it has to be a healthy functioning body. Well, let's then talk about then that other key figure, which is the mayor. And in this instance, it's going to be uh, Mayor-elect Andre Dickens. Have you all had a chance to communicate, text, Snapchat, anything? <laughs> So it's funny, I actually posted a picture today, we happened to run into each other in Midtown, both campaigning midday yesterday, and we chatted for a few minutes, obviously neither one of us knowing what the results would be. And we, we have been in communication starting last night. Um, I've known uh, Mayor-elect Dickens for a long time. We've worked together in various ways, both in his roles in city government and also outside in his roles in the technology sector where they've overlapped with my work. Um, so I, I think we're building on a very good uh, personal relationship and we're already in touch. Uh, and I look forward to, to working together on a lot of the challenges that we face. In your speech last night, you talked about now is the time to really put the focus, the resources, the assistance in those communities that have maybe not necessarily been overlooked, but some might say overlooked or intentionally or unintentionally dismissed, but to stop building on developing this city as a whole development on the backs of the impoverished. And we know that equity here is, is just like a lot of major cities, but here in Atlanta, which carries this, this prestigious historic, you know, identity, but at the same time also carries a huge mark when it comes to inequality uh, and equity. And how do you see your role in the city council working with the mayor's office, being able to make some inroads into that area? You know, I made a commitment when I started this campaign that, that whatever area of town I was in or whatever room I was in, I would talk about the same things and I'd talk about them the same way. And one of the things that I consistently brought up in every room was that going into COVID, we had 25% poverty in the city of Atlanta. Uh, and that that was just not something that was new. It was something that was here and that had been endemic and that I did not believe that growth was going to solve it, that we had to actually try to solve it and change our policy initiatives. So I think the most important thing that a city council president can do and that I will do over the next four years is to consistently bring up the question, are our policies addressing the endemic poverty that we've had? Are our policies addressing the neglected neighborhoods that we know exist? And then saying, let's understand how we can actually address those and have data to show how we're doing. You know, I think for a long time we have said growth is good, bigger is better. And if we're, if we're bigger than we were last year, then we're winning. And I think we have to change our metrics for defining our success. And so as city council president, I think my job will be not only with council, but also with the mayor and the administration to raise those questions consistently and say, are we doing what we can be, what we should be? And is the data reflecting that we're making progress so that we actually are having a view to whether or not we're having an impact. But do you need the data? Because the, the circumstances haven't changed for so many neighborhoods. I want to talk to Jason Dozer in just a minute. He'll, I'm sure he'll, he'll tell you, listen, let's talk about my community. All right. So the, some of the issues have been there for a long time. So you can have the data to support it. But the, at the end of the day, constituents, residents, business owners, they want to know about action, actionable outcomes for the community. You, I was surprised of, of uh, across the campaign, how many people were surprised by the 25% number? Which I'm surprised me, by that too. 
which, which tells me that we sort of know that we have a problem, but we don't really know the specifics of the problem. Another data point that I use is if you draw a map of where poverty exists in the city and you draw a map of the places that don't have a park within 10 minutes walk, you basically have the same map. And that also was something that people could begin to envision because they, could, they envisioned either their neighborhood in which that was true or their neighborhood in which that was not true. And so I think that there is something very powerful about the specifics of a number like 25%, because that number, we can then say a year from now, are we at 23? Are we at 22? Has it moved? And in the, the way that you can use a statistic like that is that people can begin to rally around it. And not only the public sector, but then the philanthropic sector, then the private sector, then the, you know, how we make our incentives and our investments can actually have a focus. I think we all know this is an issue, but it still surprised so many people across this campaign when you put a very fine point on it. And I think the fine point is then to drive action. Whether it's housing affordability, infrastructure, obviously you mentioned in terms of of walkable parks. Well, listen, some neighborhoods still need sidewalks, obviously. And then some neighborhoods still are struggling just to get access to healthy food. There may not be, and I don't know what role the city of Atlanta could do in terms of that. You know, they may not have access to a farmer's market or access to another grocery store. So all of those things in in these neighborhoods that have been lacking have been there for a while. But I hear what you're saying. Now, let's talk about committees, because that is the role of, of the Atlanta City Council yes. president. You get to, you know, tell people where they're going to sit and what, and what committee <laughs> they're going to serve on, basically, is what you're saying. Right. Are, are folks sending you like, you know, a case of Chardonnay, say, make sure I get on that, uh, <laughs> make sure I get on the public safety, make sure I get on the transportation. Like, has Jason sent you anything? He's coming up next. I'm going to ask him. Has he sent you like a box of gummy bears saying, yo, man, let me get on this. Uh, <laughs> I, I I have not. I have not gotten gummy bears. My two daughters might really enjoy gummy bears if they arrived at my doorstep. Um, I have been in contact with uh, most of the uh, city council folks, and I have to admit, I am a little bit behind on my <laughs> messages today, yeah. uh-huh. um, just given the, you know, given where we are. Um, but look, I had said during the campaign that I want to use the time between now and when everyone is sworn in for the new term, which is early January, to actually meet with every city council person at least once, maybe multiple times. First and foremost, understand what their priorities are, where what they see the needs are for their districts, or if they're at large, what their priorities are, what they heard from their constituents. And then, sure, we'll have a conversation. Again, I said in the campaign that I was looking for folks who had a combination of interest mm-hmm. and expertise when it comes to the committees, and also were committed to transparency and community participation. And so, I, you know, I want to, to hear from them as their interests. And then, obviously, there are some returning folks uh, or folks who have, you know, Alex Wan and Mary Norwood who mm-hmm. have been uh, out but come back. And then there's some brand new folks. And so we're also going to have to balance experience and inexperience. And I would just say, I don't think inexperience and you're part is of the all in- bad. And you're part of the inexperience. Let's be clear. That's right. And, and, I think, and I think inexperience can bring fresh questions, fresh ideas, some innovative uh, perspectives. And so I think that, that breakthroughs actually can happen when you have a combination of experienced folks who understand the, the kinds of challenges the system currently has and new folks who say, can we do it a different way? What if we tried this? And so I'm going to be looking for a mix of those on the committees. Last but not least, this is your final campaign promise, and it comes from a listener. Election is over now. Time to clean up these signs. That's for everybody. So, Doug, we don't want to <laughs> see one. We better not see a, a Doug Shipman, a J- Dickens, Jason. All these signs need to be up by the end of the gone by the end of the week. All right. Can you make that promise? I for Doug I Shipman. I just took one. I just took one down as I was coming home to. That's do just therapy. one. So, well, that is one less than we had. So we are going to be out there making sure that we get uh, we get pristine streets back. All right, Atlanta City Council President Elect Doug Shipman. Thank you so much for taking the time. I do realize that you had little sleep. We appreciate it. We hope this is the first of many conversations on this program for you and the entire council. Thank you. Thanks, Rose. Appreciate it very much. And you're tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Four years ago, there was a runoff for Atlanta's District 4 seat. Longtime incumbent Cleta Winslow was reelected over Jason Dozer. This time, 
Same two candidates in the runoff, but the outcome was different and the vote difference heavily in Doja's favor. Join me now to talk about his win and more for District 4 Atlanta City Council member elect Jason Dozer. Welcome to the program. How much sleep did you get? <laughs> I, uh, I think a little bit more than Doug. In fact, uh, I know Doug was up late last night because he texted me about 530 in the morning. And uh, I did not see that text until I was going back through all the missed texts from last night. But um, it's been I've been on fumes for a while. So mm-hmm. even before last night, it's been some long days. For our listeners who may not be familiar, I want to go ahead and give them a little bit of insight about District 4, obviously on Atlanta's west side. We're talking about Mechanicsville, Ashview Heights, you got Oakland City, West End, Castleberry Hill. Um, what did you hear from residents and business owners this time that maybe you didn't hear last time when you were running? Yeah, I, I think uh, some of the same uh, things were said and that people were uh, fed up with uh, lack of city services or lack of attention to addressing their specific needs, whether it was a pothole, whether it was a speed hump or some other aspect of their day-to-day life, their quality of life. I think what's been different is that, uh, you know, I've been a community organizer in Mechanicsville since at least 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. uh, fighting with neighbors around Turner Field, trying to make sure we got a community benefits agreement. But I had to introduce myself to neighbors in West End and Oakland City and Ashview Heights. And uh, in that election, uh, you know, I, I get you know, the the kind of feeling, this, this the mantra of the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Mm-hmm. And I had to earn people's trust over the last four years. And I think because my community work had has since then extended out into those communities, uh, fighting for a lot of same issues I fight for my home community around displacement, around safe streets, around environmental justice. Folks saw my work, they saw me, and they were willing to trust me and believe in me in, in what we we're trying to do for our communities and for our city. You and I both know, and a lot of folks know, that if there is an area of town where when you, you mention the G word, gentrification, or the D word, development, and depending on whom you ask, you get a different answer as to the pros and the cons here. What concerns do you have for District 4, Jason, that you really want to make sure that you're able to address and be the voice for all of these neighborhoods? Yeah, I think you hit the right nail on the head in terms of uh, the issue that is on a lot of people's minds, I think about the fact that uh, whether it's the Mall West End, whether it's the Gulch, whether it's uh, uh, even Murphy's Crossing, you have a lot of these big uh, public uh, land deals or development deals that uh, uh, are going to have uh, significant impacts on our communities. And the re- big reason why I got into this race in 2017 was because I believe wholeheartedly in this idea that community that developments of this scale should require community benefits agreement. And I want to make sure that we get some policies from city council, from city hall to make sure that that is, is set in stone. And I want to make sure that uh, communities have a voice in, in when these developments happen in their backyard and, and aren't excluded and aren't only given, uh, you know, table scraps because it's, you know, we, they go through the MPU process mm-hmm. and then, you know, they, they go through city hall and, and, uh, they do the bare minimum. I want to change that paradigm. I want to change that dynamic. I want community engagement to be the first thing on these developers' minds when they come to our neighborhoods. Are they going to guarantee jobs to people in our communities? Are they going to uh, make sure that people in our neighborhoods have access to uh, uh, better infrastructure because of these developments? And that's the change that I, w- I want to make sure happens because, you know, we have a lot of deals that are happening every single day. There's an RFP out there right now for Civic Center for mm-hmm. Murphy's Crossing. And uh, this is on the tail end of what we saw with Fort McPherson and the goals with what CIM is developing over there. And so I want to make sure the communities have a voice when these big things are happening and make sure that we can be as transparent about what's happening as well. I'm tired of seeing decisions get made behind the scenes and then uh, there's a public announcement and then folks are scrambling to try to make mm-hmm. sure that they can have a seat at the table. That that needs to change. And that's what I want to change. You heard Doug Shipman talking about this will be a, a fairly new entire city council we've seen the last couple of administrations there have been some familiar names that are still there but a lot of new names a lot of newcomers including you as well um, are there some specific community committees you like to serve on yeah uh I, you know thinking about this a lot there's a lot of issues that we have to solve <laughs> as a city but uh honestly the transportation one is something that has been 
near and dear to my heart for a long time, especially since many of my neighbors don't have a car, don't have access to a car, rely on MARTA, walk to the store, their kids walk to school and bike to school. And a lot of our streets are designed in such a way to make it dangerous and difficult for them to get to where they need to go. I, I heard you talking with Doug about the lack of sidewalks in many of our neighborhoods. And mm -hmm. when you look at a map where pedestrians are getting hit by cars, there are neighborhoods without sidewalks. They're in black communities in Southwest Atlanta, neighborhoods that many of our bus stops are just a pole in the dirt and riding public transportation is a very undignified experience. I think that's where the city can have the most a dramatic impact in people's quality of life. And I think there's great opportunities to partner with MARTA, partner with other uh, transportation uh, or advocacy groups to make sure we're moving in the right direction to get people the help they need and the help they need it for a long time. And unfortunately, the pandemic has made it worse. You know, the people not commuting to the office mm -hmm. uh, has opened up our highways and freeways and roads and people have started speeding even more. And even though offices are, are, are opening back up, uh, folks are still speeding. And I wanna make sure that uh, we can deliver on just basic infrastructure like speed humps and and crosswalks and lighting beacons and things like that that they have in Midtown and East Atlanta that we should have in our Southwest Atlanta community as well. You know, when we were talking about the neighborhoods in District 4, and I've asked this question before, and I, I might have asked it even because I moderated an earlier debate earlier on with you all. Um, is it too late to save, they use the word save, some of these neighborhoods from the destination of they've already been redeveloped and because of high cost of housing mm -hmm. and then property mm -hmm. taxes and, and the concerns you have, can you still, can legacy residents, I guess is the best way of asking this, can legacy residents and those residents who are now renters become homeowners? Is it too late for some of these folks in, in the district four? I, I don't think it's too late. Uh, and, and if I thought it was too late, I wouldn't have run for this, this office. Uh, but I do recognize that it's going to take uh, a Herculean effort to make sure that we can get the policies in place to get people housed, get people opportunities for new housing. If you're a renter and want to be a homeowner, we should have ways for people to do that. If you want to be a renter and you want to stay a renter, we should allow for people to be able to do that as well. And we have to start thinking outside of the boxes in terms of how do we get more housing units online. I think about the fact that Mechanicsville alone uh, we have about 25 acres of publicly owned land that's mm -hmm. been sitting vacant for a long time. Some of it is uh, the land that didn't get sold to Georgia State or Carter. Some of it, is the, the parking lots for the old gray lot and brown lot, uh, some of it's owned by MARTA. And that's the, that's the only part of it. Mm -hmm. I think City of Atlanta owns something like 177 acres of publicly owned land. There's a lot of housing authority properties that haven't been developed. So getting those online, I think, is one part of it. But we also have to think outside the box. And, and I know... Uh, Councilmember Faroki's uh, uh, zoning and land use legislation mm -hmm. uh, did not push, did not make it through. But I would love to revisit that conversation because we have to, uh, we shouldn't, you know, limit our opportunities uh, through these policies or changes to policies that unfortunately uh, come from a uh, history of racism and classism. We got to start getting back to to making it easier for people to have a place to live in. This Is there a compromise? And Jason, when we talk about single family zoning and that that policy and legislation because again depending on whom you ask the mm -hmm. folks in ansley park have one <laughs> opinion and then the folks may where you live have a different mm -hmm. this this would affect the entire city is there yeah. a com is there a compromise here that satisfies everybody through your lens yeah and and I, and I think there is a compromise but i will say too a lot of those same concerns that folks in ansley park a lot of our neighbors in West End and Oakland City and Nashville Heights have those same concerns. And I think that's where education. But the optics up. may be a little bit different. Right. That's you know, true. Some folks are worried just about the young folks, you know, with their their cars and traffic. And other folks are more concerned about the type of individual that mm -hmm. will be in their neighborhood. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah I think that's absolutely right. Uh, just I'm just thinking from a, from a policy standpoint, at mm -hmm. the end of the day, we, we're going to get it's the political discussion that we need to have with our neighbors and, and education is going to be key. And I think that the work that uh, our Office of Planning or Department of Planning has been doing on that front has been phenomenal. But we need to do more and need to do it in a much more deliberate way so that folks aren't scared of their neighbors. Folks aren't scared of people who live in their city and live in their communities. And I think that uh, ha helping people recognize that, you know, this is this is how things used to be in the city of Atlanta. And just mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and, 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 and of course, in any deep South city, that reason is usually tied to racism and classism. But for whatever reason, uh, the city said, you know what, we don't want to allow duplexes. We don't want to allow 
eight unit uh, apartment buildings mm-hmm. in a neighborhood that, that is only single family homes. And you look at historic communities like Ansley Park, like MM Park, like Midtown, and you see the vestiges of that history. And we don't allow by right to develop things like that anymore. And it makes it harder for people to find housing. And that's the conversation I want to have with people. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not antagonism. Mm-hmm. It's not, we don't have to be uh, 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 opponents on on something that's so, everybody wants to see their communities thrive. I want to make sure people know that they can thrive even if we have a few more people living on your block, a few more people living down the street. And, but that's a political conversation. That's the, the challenge that I want to take straight on is talk to my neighbors and talk to my constituents uh, and, and let them know, like, hey, let's let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Let's move this. Let's move forward together and not just, uh, you know, stick my head in the sand and, and not address it at all, because the clock's ticking. You're absolutely right absolutely. about that. As we wrap up and I'll give you the final word on this. Uh, how will your work in the nonprofit world help you in this transition to a city council representative here? Yeah, I think the fact that uh, I've been in a space where I've thought entirely about how do we build systems? How do we scale those systems? Uh, what can we do similarly in, in, at City Hall? We got organizations working with the youth. You got organizations working with seniors. How do we make sure those organizations can help more people and help more people mm-hmm. in such a way that it's seamless for some, if, if I'm getting, if I have a kid that's in school and and uh, I don't get home from work until seven o'clock p.m. How do we build systems so that that kid has a safe place to go when they get out of school, can have some additional enrichment opportunities, learning opportunities, and be safe? Uh, and how do we scale it up so every kid in every neighborhood across the city can can be successful in that same way? Uh, that's the mindset I've been having about this role, and that's what I want to bring to the table when when we get sworn in next year. And how is the little one? of the household <laughs> <laughs> she she is phenomenal uh she I, i'm still sad that i mean she's only 15 months old so she's not gonna remember a ton of this but <laughs> we got pictures we got video and uh you know next go around she will she will be there and she will have these memories for the rest of her life but for the time being she's just enjoying being a toddler so. and being 15 months old and getting all the love well, i tell you they are so cute at that age <laughs> <laughs> newly elected for Atlanta City Council District 4, Jason Dozier. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hope you all will come back. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder that you can always listen to Closer Look online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, weeknights at 7. And, of course, you know, we have a podcast. So subscribe to wherever you subscribe to all your podcasts because it's going to be free, as always. And if you want to send me an email or tweet me, because y'all love to do that, send me an email, rose at wabe.org, or hit me up on Twitter at wabe rose scott. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.